Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schippel. And that's Steve Jones. And today on the program, we have Paul Nelson. Um, we'll get into a little bit about Paul's background and where he comes from and, uh, and all of that. And of course, we'll, we'll talk to him. But um, he was very close to Johnny Winter and um, in his band and, and dug, dig pretty deep with, uh, uh, with Paul about some stories from the, the past and, um, and also what he's doing in the, in the present as well. So it's a, um, a fun chat that we'll get to um, get into in a little bit. But first, uh, Jens, how, how can people get a hold of us? Well, there are several different uh, avenues. Uh, one is on Facebook. And facebook.com forward slash concert pipeline pod and twitter at concert pipeline and periscope yes at concert pipeline and uh maybe instagram too at concert pipeline instagram? About what about youtube yeah yeah there's a concert pipeline youtube i'm not going to push people in that direction though <laughs> i don't know Fair I, enough. Fair i don't enough. put video up very often so it's <laughs> That's not one of the hot ways. But definitely you should subscribe to the podcast. Uh, tell your friends. Um, like Get it on iTunes. All that, yes. And uh, Steve, you try to publish these about once a week or so, right? We'll do this about once a week, yeah. Give or take. This is episode 111. For those keeping track. 111. Yes. Three ones. 111. One, one. And um, Johnny Winter, right? Um, yeah. So... Johnny Winter. You know, I've always known that he. Uh, I've always known of him. I mean, I've always known he's a guitarist. Um, you know, I've heard a couple of his songs. Um, he. You know, one of the things that really stands out for me is that. Um, you know, he's into the kind of uh, jazzy, bluesy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got talent. And um, but you know, one thing I didn't know until just recently is how amazing his story is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and honestly, I, I didn't know, I'm not like you, I didn't know much about Johnny Winter at all going before um, researching for this podcast. And, um, and so I, I learned a lot as well. And, um, and we watched the, um, the DVD is uh, for Johnny Winter that um, Paul Nelson actually um, was a big part of he helped pull it together. And, um, and that DVD is called I'm trying to find the name of it. What? What like was that Johnny called? Winter story Down and Dirty. Or... Down, and, Down dirty. and Dirty. Right, yes. Right, right, right. Yes, exactly. So check that DVD out because it's um, a good story about uh, Johnny Winter in his kind of final years uh, uh, and in his battle as well uh, with drugs and um, and kind of and also the, the positive story of uh, his recovery from mm-hmm. um, uh, from. I mean, he he was just pretty much gone, and like he came back and and like got back out there playing shows and really kind of was reinventing himself after um, after all the, after this battle with drugs, but kind of was succumbed to pneumonia. I think is what took him ultimately. Yeah, um, yeah. He, um, you know, I think one of the the reasons that his story is so spectacular is that it's the people that really cared for him and loved him that said, you know what, we want Johnny Winter back. You know, so they 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 went out there and did what they had to do to to bring him back from from drugs. Yeah, and and the story also. I mean, we usually we get into the the meat of the artist a, a little bit later in the podcast, but um, but it's really cool to see the story um, as well, where his friend like Paul Nelson, who we have on the podcast, actually weaned him off of 
what was the drug um, that he was on? Um, uh, I, I don't remember exactly what drug he was on. Um, do you remember? I don't remember. Um, but he was, uh, he weeded him off it. Uh, and it was a pill. And, um, and he, I mean, he had to kind of really progressively, like take it down to where he's like giving Johnny empty caplets ultimately. And then as a Christmas gift, he uh, had uh, an empty caplet in a box um, and was recording it and had Johnny open it and, uh, and, he, uh, and open the caplet as well. And, uh, and Johnny's like, oh, what's, what's this? What's the deal? Right. And, uh, and he's like, you've been clean for, uh, for like two years at this point. Right? Holy shit. Yeah. You haven't been I on, on the drug. That. You haven't been on this drug for, uh, so he he was it was heroin. Was it? Um, it was yeah he was on heroin. So he so literally he was just taking placebos like sugar pills or something. There was just yeah I guess nothing uh, in them. Yeah, I mean it got it, well he'd make the capitalist smaller and smaller until I mean, there, uh, yeah like he couldn't pull it off as as giving him the caplet that he needed right, um, uh-huh. and so he uh, so he actually put in empty caplets there I think and. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and they, as a Christmas gift, they told him that, hey, you've been you've been off of this for two years, so you're you're clean from this. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember when you know when he first started um, showing signs of you know recovering, and uh, it was evident when you know people were interviewing him. You know, he used to be able to only answer in yes or no, and people were wondering if he was even you know cognizant um but then he was able to you know put sentences together and ultimately paragraphs and stuff people got really excited yeah exactly. yeah anyway if you guys have a chance to check that out um uh, it's a really great story yeah That's for sure um and so yen speaking of really great stories you have a really great story from your uh weekend last weekend right yes I almost forgot about that. We, um, well, uh, to go back just a little bit, in our last podcast, we were talking about Foreigner, right? We were. Um, and I wasn't able to go to that show because I was busy driving back from this naked hot springs place. So, um, about the naked hot springs place. Uh, Steve, have you ever been to a naked hot springs? I have not. I have not. Have you, have you ever been anywhere uh, naked? Na- like, in my public? bedroom. That's a... <laughs> in your bed. Not, a, not like a naked beach or anything like that? Not not, not that I can recall, no. no I, yeah. I like to keep my clothes on in public places. So. You do? Yeah. yeah. Well, talking about keeping your clothes on in public places, the weird thing about going – this might just be my experience and not everybody's experience. But the weird thing about going to a naked place, whether it's a naked beach or in this case the naked hot springs, is that you get used to it. So you're hanging out. You know, you're by the – you're hanging out in the hot spring or you're hanging out in the pool. Um, the place I was at had a nice swimming pool that was 80-some degrees in the hot pools. Um, you could probably put about – I don't know, fit about eight or ten people or something in every hot – you know, hot spring pool. They weren't small. They weren't individual. It was like definitely a community thing. Um, and those temperatures ranged from varied from about 100 to 109. I think there were three of them. So the thing about this, you know, when you have absolutely nothing to do, yeah. and I mean nothing. This place was off the grid. I mean, there was no no cell service. Phone, yep. No nope. cell phone signal. There was no internet. Um, in fact, there was no nothing. Um, the hot springs ran off of solar power so even if your shaver or toothbrush or whatever died there was no way to charge anything 
right? So the lights, they had, it had electricity, it had lights, it had a great kitchen and stuff, but it was using the most minimal amount of power to, to exist. Yeah. So anyway, this gives you a ton of time to do stuff, you know, like hang out naked all day. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so you get into this kind of zone of just, you know, being relaxed. Um, and at first, it's really weird, Steve, like you could imagine, right? You you get there, and you, you check in, and it's like a little hotel, and it makes sense. You know, okay, here's my room, here's my stuff. And then you think, oh, gosh, it's really hot. You know, let's go jump in the pool. And you go to the pool area, which is kind of like a Japanese onsen-type rice paper enclosed area. And you go in there, and that's where the clothing is optional. And by clothing optional, uh-huh. I would be very specific, really means... If you wear clothes, people look at you weird. <laughs> they look at you like, what's wrong with you? Why do you have clothes on? I uh-huh. mean, it's the opposite of what you would normally experience at a beach. Yeah. Right? If you and I go to Stinson Beach and we see somebody naked, it's like, dude, put some clothes on. What's right. wrong with you? The exact opposite takes place here. Okay. So um, so you get used to it, you know? And we were there for three, no, two nights, but two and a half days. So, um, So by the end of it, you know, I'm so used to it. I had to actually physically remind myself, okay, when I leave this place, I need to be aware that I'm not going to go take my clothes off somewhere else. <laughs> right uh-huh. next time I go to a beach or something, i got to remember, okay, this is where people wear clothes. But it's, you, I don't know, it's, it's, it's After weird. two days, you just had to remind yourself to put on clothes is what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, yeah, I had to remind myself to put on clothes to, you know, Go get my car. Go out of public, like car. like you don't go yeah. to McDonald's and ask for a, a Big Mac and uh, and show your Big Mac. Like <laughs> I can imagine going through the drive-through right now. I'd like a Big Mac, sir. Yes. Are you wearing any clothes? Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. I'm wearing clothes. Um, yeah. So th- I mean, that number one, that's kind of a weird transformation where you go kind of in a totally different angle. Um, from it's weird not wearing clothes to it's weird wearing clothes. Um, so, you know, on top of that, you've got these questions like, you know, what's it going to be like when I go to these naked hot springs and I'm going to see other naked people? Is that going to be awkward? You know, where do I look? Do I always look down on the ground or, you know, up at the stars or I don't want to, with the trees, I don't want to offend anybody. You know, uh-huh. looking from. So it's kind, of, it's kind of this weird dynamic that takes place in the naked place. Uh, where all the pools are. But then after a while, I don't think anybody cares anymore. This was the 4th of July weekend, right, when the Foreigner concert was. So there were a lot of people that were kind of there for a few days. We all kind of got to know each other. And uh, How well did you get to know each other, Jens? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How well do you get to know each other? Well, this is what it's like. I mean, everyone is, is either walking around naked from pool to pool or they're in their chairs reading naked books. Well, reading books naked. Uh, or whatever and it gets to the point where you just walk up to somebody and it's like oh yeah hey how are you da, da, da. you know and, and you talk to them because you had met them in the kitchen it's this, it's this community kitchen um you know where people get together and, and cook all the stuff that they brought from trader joe's they cook naked they cook na- no they don't oh. thank god <laughs> oh my god i couldn't i can't imagine being in a, a uh, you know a kitchen with a bunch of naked people and just wondering who's like pubic hairs are flying around. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Step away from my food. What's in my? What's in your eggs? Yeah. Uh-huh. Nasty hairs. Yeah, exactly. In my scrambled eggs or in my chicken or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. No, the whole naked stuff only happened where the pools were, and that was kind of closed off. So thank God there was no naked anything anywhere else. 
Um, but anyway, so people become so comfortable with each other that they're, they walk up and they talk to each other, you know, either naked in the water or just naked while they're, you know, hanging out in their lounge chairs. Uh-huh. And the, yeah, I mean, that's kind of weird, but in the end it, it, it becomes the norm. I guess it becomes the new norm, so people are cool with that. And was this your first time uh, visiting this, the, the Naked Hot Springs? Because I know it wasn't your wife's. But no, it was not. It was my first time visiting this particular Naked Hot Spring. But I have been to Naked Hot Springs before, well, once before. Is that true? Yes. So once, one other time was in Japan, but that was in winter, and it had dumped. I mean, there was so much snow everywhere that the whole place was just steaming. I mean, you couldn't yeah. see three feet in front of you. Uh, it was cold, so people weren't hanging out in lounge chairs. <laughs> they were yeah. like jumping into the hot tubs, hanging out for a while, and then like you know scurrying back to the to the lodge. But I, I do have another funny story now that you mention it. Um, this isn't a hot springs, but it is a, this is a naked place that I went to in Germany once, and this is kind of a, one of these therapeutic spa places where they have a huge indoor pool, but they have like massages, massage tables, and they have hot tubs and and uh, wet and dry saunas um, inside. So there are lots of bowls and and stuff. And, and this isn't, everything's naked. Yeah. No one is wearing clothes anywhere. You walk in, you Cooking go to naked. your locker. Yeah. yeah, you put your stuff in and everything's naked. And it's Germany, right? So yeah. I just want to highlight that it's Germany. So in the center of all the nakedness is a beer garden. And people are drinking beer and eating their sausages all naked. When you say eating that, their sausages. Eating sausages, yeah. Oh. However you want to interpret that. They're eating sausages and drinking their steins of beer naked. And that was weird. I, I was like, okay, yeah, I can't imagine hanging out with my bros, you know, drinking beer naked. That's weird. I mean, the sauna, that's one thing. You know, the naked yeah. pool, that's another. But just hanging out. Yeah. I mean, just standing there in no, the bar. No naked beer. podcasting. No. No, no, no. 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 That was a little bit weird. Yeah, that, was weird. <laughs> that was much weirder than the Naked Hot Springs. Yes. But you had a good time. A great time. Yeah, I would recommend it to anybody. Anybody who's interested in going to a, a Naked Hot Springs, uh, definitely go for it. Mm. And don't and don't wear your clothes. And, It'd be weird. And don't wear your clothes unless you're cooking eggs. Yeah. Then you can wear your clothes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And one more thing uh, just to kind of uh, wrap that up. Um, most people... Uh, look much better with their clothes on. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Most people <laughs> look much better with their clothes on. Most human just, bodies are not that flattering, actually. No, they're not. They're they're not at all. Um, so even if you are curious to see what other naked bodies look like, um, there are things that you cannot unsee. I just uh-huh. want to say that. Um, Especially if somebody bends over right in front of you and you're not, uh, you know, um, uh, expecting it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you really become friends then, don't you? Yes, exactly. There are some things that I wish I could unsee, but I can't. So anyway, you're just a, a cautionary uh, part there before you get excited and go to some naked hot springs. You know, I never know how to segue from your story to I, I need to like take a segue class because I don't have any segue. <laughs> That you had problems with this on the last podcast. I did, and I just I'm floored, and then I just like okay, well I guess we have to move on, and 
<laughs> and then, well, my my job here is to make uh, your segues awkward, Steve. Yes, uh, and and that you did. And uh, uh, moving forward, we're going to talk to Paul Nelson um, again a little bit about uh, Paul Nelson. He's um, a really, really great guitarist that um, has been around for uh, for a good while at this point. He uh, was in Johnny Winter's band. He's produced uh, a number of other artists as well, including um, someone who is on the band. Uh, I mean, excuse me, on the podcast about two weeks ago, Lance Lopez. He produced Lance Lopez's uh, newest album, Live in New York City. Um, and I talked to Lance about that uh, about two hours before I talked to Paul, actually. So it's kind of cool to talk to them back to back about each other. Uh, and and really, uh, I mean, I, I need to take this uh, opportunity to uh, to throw out a, a big thank you to uh, the, the manager that kind of helped me pull all of this together. And, um, and his name is John Lappin. So uh, thank you, John, for... For helping pull, I mean, he's given us content for like the past four weeks, really. I mean, he, he gave us, uh, first he, uh, he gave us James Montgomery, really cool conversation with James. Uh, he gave us Lance Lopez, Foreigner, and then uh, Paul Nelson. So we got a whole, you know, kind of uh, indulgence of like old blues music and then uh, Foreigner. And was, there's one more. Uh, I think in August that we're going to do one of his artists as well. So really cool when stuff works out like this. I mean, it, honestly, it was a brain overload of music because I really get into the music when I'm preparing for these interviews. I listen to the artists. I do the research. I, uh, I you know, I get in the weeds a, a bit. And, and this was a challenge for me because it was four interviews within 24 hours, uh, really. Uh, and And I wanted to be knowledgeable for all of them. I didn't want to just phone it in so to speak even though they're phone interviews so um right 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 so you were prepared you didn't wing it and i'm remembering it didn't seem like it was that long ago where um we had wrapped up a podcast and you didn't have anything on the calendar for a couple of weeks right and all of a sudden boom yes boom exactly yeah and that happens sometimes i mean sometimes we might take a week off or uh, or so if there's uh, nothing coming uh, up nothing worth uh, going out to see and nothing you know no one worth being on the program and and uh, honestly generally I, I try and stay away from phone interviews uh because i like to interview the bands at the concerts but these artists weren't coming around anytime soon and uh and it was just really a cool opportunity i mean each conversation brought its own gems and was had its own unique kind of feel to it so i was really you know um, indebted to get to get this sort of experience I, it was great so I say that going into the next interview, which again is uh, Paul Nelson. Um, so I think the, we just need to bring Paul on in and uh, hop into that interview. Here it is. Hey, how you doing, Paul? How's that signal, okay? Yep, sounding good. Great, 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 great. Take out the new CD. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, the new CD is uh, Badass Generation, right? Yeah, that's it. I've been listening to it, and uh, I really like it. I, I mean, you're an amazing guitarist. I love uh, the the feel of it, and uh, it's got a great energy to it. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. Uh, well, when when Johnny, you know, I played with Johnny Winter. When he passed, uh, uh, I felt it was time to start recording. I had a uh, singer that I had produced several years ago uh, out of Europe, Norway to be exact, his name was uh, Morton Fredheim, and uh, when I was producing him, I'm like, well, i got to work with this guy. I love his voice. 
and uh, he was number two on The Voice in, in Europe. So I flew him over. I got uh, Chris Redden on drums from Papa Chubby, and I got uh, Chris Alexander from Samantha Fish, the bass player, Danny Lewis from Government Mule on keys, and uh, I just started writing. And lyrics, music, you know, uh, we were all fans of, like, Bad Company and, you know, retroizing, you know, music from uh, from that decade. So, uh, you know, I put that kind of production value into, you know, big fans of Queen, uh, Zeppelin, early Aerosmith, you know, all that all that 70s stuff. So we just absorbed that, that style. And then I started writing and, uh, you know, I wanted to keep it in that vein with, you know, catchy lyrics and write some songs, you know. Yeah. And have a front man. So, uh, yeah, so it came about and I produced it and then I had it, uh, uh, Sony picked it up and it just got wor released worldwide. I'm really happy with it. Everybody seems to really like it. You know, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, have you been uh, playing playing it live recently too? Uh, we're going to start in August in the Midwest, and then we go over to uh, um, uh, Washington, uh, that whole area over there, and we work our way down to California. And it just got released in Japan like three weeks ago, four weeks ago. So uh, there's talk that we might be going over there as well. Oh, awesome! So I'm sure you'll hit the Bay Area then. I'm I'm from Napa, California, so uh, it'd be awesome to oh, see. Oh well, I've been over there with Johnny like a billion times <laughs> yeah 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 so, love that area uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, about your relationship with johnny obviously he's a really good friend and, and i've been talking to uh i, I talked to uh, lance lopez today and i talked to uh james montgomery yesterday so i'm hearing a little bit uh, about you know johnny and obviously a lot of that comes back to you and um and your relationship with him you were kind of the closest out of the bunch right well, yeah, I mean, I introduced all those guys to, to Johnny, but, uh, um, yeah, I, uh, there's a movie that just came out called Down and Dirty, and it's about what he and I did together to to get him off of, uh, you know, the drugs and the alcohol and all that kind of stuff and help it to come back. Uh, with, with Lance, I had asked, uh, asked him to perform his album, was you know live in live in New York that was opening for Johnny's birthday party. So I yeah. I called him because I got him on some gigs with us, and then I uh, asked him to play BB Kings, and then we recorded it. <laughs> and he didn't. Yeah, he was telling me he didn't know uh, it was even recorded until you told him, and then it uh, was yeah. good. And yeah, I called him up. I go, hey, I just heard the, I just heard the opening music. You know, you're set. I go, it was great. Let's put it out. So I produced that. I produced a lot of acts, too. I produced James Montgomery. James was in Johnny's band for about five years. Um, he's on the, the Alma Blues Band record. But, um, yeah, Johnny and I were close. We met in the Carriage House Studios, like, years ago. And we hit it off musically, and then uh, I went on the road with him. I started recording with him. And then put these other albums together, Roots and Step Back, which won us both Grammys last year. Yeah, be and, best uh, blues album. And then uh, he asked me to help him out with his career. And uh, we were working on that ever since, you know, getting him off all the bad stuff from the past. So, yeah. Unfortunately, the emphysema got him, but other than that, he had a clean bill of health and he had one hell of a comeback. So pretty proud to be able to help him out. You know, he was a close... We were, we were tight. Yeah. Very close. He was like father to me, that kind of thing. You know, it was, you know... 
Yeah, is it does it still feel pretty fresh for you, like losing him and kind of getting getting past that? I know, like talking to Lance, he he wanted to hold out on the album a little bit um, to kind of just let time pass before you know, and and so it's not so fresh on um, you know on Johnny's passing. Yeah, uh, I I don't know if that was the exact reason, but uh, it took a while for us to mix it, his album. But yeah, but. But I know, as far as Johnny, yeah, I mean, it's, I was with him for so many years. It's, you know, he, he lived in, in the area that we do in the East Coast. And, you know, I still work with the estate and, you know, help out, you know, with his, you know, his releases and all that kind of thing. So it's, 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 it's always there. And I'm still in contact with people and companies that, you know, knew him. So, it, it, it and, you know, when you hear the music, when you do interviews and stuff and, you know, I will always be his guitar player, so it's something to be proud of. But you always, you know, he's always there. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's not easy, you know. Yeah, for sure. And so, uh, tell me a little bit about how your kind of relationship with Johnny worked in the studio. Um, you've produced, I mean, a number of albums at this point. Like you're you're saying, like, uh, was it really natural and flowed really well? With uh, did you kind of spitball things back and forth? Yeah, you know, he honored me with doing that. You know, he, he had produced all the Muddy Water stuff, and but he never got a Grammy for his own stuff, which I was proud to, you know, say that I did for him. Yeah. But in the studio, I, I think I think it was almost like he was grooming me to produce him so that he could have the freedom to sing and record without having to worry about all that other stuff. And these these albums that I put out for him, you know, with, with all these guests, he wasn't used to that having so many guests type of thing. So, you know, once he picked the songs for the albums, because the theme was, you know, a song by uh, an artist that influenced him, and then the, 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 the guests honoring Johnny, honoring them. So he picked the songs in like 15 minutes, and then it was my job to go out and find the artists, you know, Clapton and uh, Billy Gibbons and uh, uh, Ben Harper and all these guys. Well, you know, yeah. Warren Haynes, Sonny, all you know, all friends and cohorts to get him on this, and then work the band and make make all these uh, songs fit together. And Johnny, I mean, he was getting stronger as you know as as the months went by. So his voice was stronger, his playing was stronger. So it was it was a pleasure to, to especially on Step Back, you know, where, where we could the grooves were fast, the songs were faster, the grooves were there. So. um yeah, uh, it, it was great working with him. The first time we sat together, I mean, sitting face to face with Johnny Winter and playing on a song that I wrote, it, that was that was great. But you know, like like he said when he worked with Muddy, people say, you know, did you learn anything from Muddy? He was like, no, I knew all the songs, I knew all his material, I knew all Johnny's material, so I was I was ready for it, you know. Yeah, and and were you kind of ready to take that leap into uh, producing? Also, what was it that drove you that direction uh, uh, toward? Uh, toward producing. Well, I had been, I had gone, I, I, I'm kind of like a, a producer that they, that they would fly over to Europe and I'd produce a lot of albums over there. So I had done a ton of this stuff already and he had heard about it. He's like, well, why don't you just produce it? You know, cause in the beginning I started looking for producers and I'm like, I don't know if, you know, I, I knew Johnny so well and I knew his ethics in the studio and I knew what he wanted. So I, you know, he's like, Paul, you should just do it. And I was like, that's a great honor. And then I said, yes. And then I'm like, uh Oh, what did I agree to? Right. <laughs> you know? 
So it was a, a daunting task, but I really tried to uh, make sure that, you know, obviously not all the artists were in the studio, so you had to fly a lot of parts in, but there were some that were in. So the, the, the trick is to make it all fit together so it doesn't sound disjointed. A lot of people, producers and engineers will, you know, people send in the solo and they just plop it on there and they don't take time to make the sounds blend in together. So I, I really, I really wanted to know, you know, what kind of mics Clapton used in the studio, what kind of amps and, and uh, to, to match that same. So I would ask for the miking, how they mic the amps, the room size, the, uh, the, uh, outboard gear, the reverbs and everything to match it so they sounded like they were together. You know, because Johnny came from that school of one take, mics all over the place, live, ambient mics, you know, no separation of tracks. But I knew because of the way this was put together, I had to have multi-track, you know, recording. It's, it's what you do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So And then there was attention to detail knowing it was going to come out on vinyl, you know? Oh, yeah. So, that that as well. So there were a lot of techniques that were done above and beyond, and apparently it worked. And you know, we we got an award. Yeah, a, a little thing, a little Grammy, right? So tell tell me yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, Johnny Johnny leaned over to me when I played him the final mixes for Step Back, and he whispers in my ear. He goes, "Paul, yeah, if we don't get a Grammy for this, they're nuts." <laughs> yeah. Well, you did, and there was a Best Blues Album Grammy, and so tell me about that experience for you, um, kind of getting that honor. All right, well, that, that you know, I, I said to myself, you know, if he does get it and I go up, I'm, I'm not going to let it get to me, but, you know, you sit there, it's, there's like 120 categories, and you sit there and you wait, and ours was like number 70-something, you know, classical, Latin, uh, shrink wrap, best this, <laughs> best that. And all of a sudden, it's getting kind of close, and they called it all, and I, it, it was just, I couldn't believe it. So I went up there, and and it hit me. You know, just a rush of all the emotions and thinking of him in the studio, and you see the uh, the name of the album behind you on the big screen, and there you are at the podium, and they they hand you this award, and it's just like, like a rush of all the time we had spent together and all that we had worked for. I, I was so thankful that he heard the finished recording. He didn't. He didn't see that it got a Grammy, but he he saw the completion of the movie, loved it, saw the completion of this. So uh, you know, he really, even the family said he left us on such a high note. You know, he he really had a comeback, and it's funny because he said um, he said, you know, Paul, I I know I'm having a comeback, but I never went anywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like enjoy it, but yeah, it, it it hit me. Yeah, I got I got very emotional. It really. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and tell me about your experience uh, with the blues as well. What was it about the blues that really called out to you, and uh, and made you kind of uh, passionate about that type of music? Well, as a player, I'm you know a guitar player, but whether you're a guitar player, keyboard player, bass player, drummer, you have to have blues in you because it gives you that soul and just it, it keeps you from sounding too much like elevated music. And it's the first style that every musician pretty much learns because even though you don't perfect it it's the easiest to start getting immediate gratification from playing a, a blues song so that you're performing something so you learn a couple little scales and some chords and every instructional book and every teacher and every the first thing they do is teach you that now perfecting that and learning how to play it like the masters 
that's another thing. Yeah. Because it's not a simple, it's a simple song structure, but it's not simple to play with that kind of soul and give those notes that kind of meaning. So it's, it's, it's part of the DNA of any musician that's well-rounded. You know, if you're a fusion guy, you have blues. And Jeff Beck, I mean, Jeff Beck is a blues guy and a fusion guy. Even Satriani and Eric Johnson, they all have parts of that in them, and so do I. And, you know, if you're a rock guy, even jazz guys, I mean, they'll play jazz and scales and chords and song structure, but there's always an element of the blues. You know, Robin Ford, Larry Carlton, those kind of guys. So uh, it's, it's important. Yeah, so much comes back to the, the blues for sure. Um, yeah, and then being with Johnny, I mean, they used to be with the, the blues master. So, you know, musicians are like a sponge, so I learned everything I could just from repetitiveness, just repetitiveness, just being on stage with him all the time. You know, Johnny, it was cool. Johnny took me under his wing, and he really turned me on to the traditional blues and the Delta blues, you know, these these older, older artists that he listened to. And he really was like, learn this solo, listen to this riff, uh, listen to this vocal line, listen to this. He was a blues historian. He knew, I only met a few people like that. Billy Gibbons was one like that. Uh, uh, a couple other uh, uh, record company uh, heads and uh, producers and engineers. But Johnny was like a historian. He knew everything about who fooled around with who, who was missing a finger, who had alcohol problems, who had this, who broke a string on this track. And, you know, it was pretty cool. He he lived and breathed blues. Yeah, not just not just played it. Totally, and and so you uh, you're from Manhattan. Can you tell me a little bit about the music scene there and what you've uh, kind of experienced uh, being from Manhattan? Well, you'd be surprised how many. It's like it's like a it's like a Seattle or a New Orleans over here. There's so many there's so many musicians hidden amongst the maple trees. <laughs> uh, they're they're everywhere. From, from top jazz guys to, you know, there's studios, there's clubs opening now like crazy before it was a little dried up a little, but but there's always been uh, good teachers and good uh, musicians around here, you know, whether they're, they're guys that are in New York, you know, this tri-state area, everything's right here. Yeah. So the, the studios are in New York, the, the venues, you know, B.B. King's and the... Uh, the the bitter end and the bottom line, you know, all those those famous streets and, and areas. But it's gone up into the woods because that's where everybody lives. So everybody's got studios and, and some of the major, like the carriage house, that kind of thing. Uh, they're all around here. So it's it spawns musicians, and there's there's a lot of them, a lot of a lot of good ones. But fortunately, I, I've been I'm like one of the ones that was able to actually make a career out of it. So. Yeah. But I went to Berkeley College of Music. That helped too. Yeah, and, and the first uh, first guitar that you picked up was a Telecaster. Like, what? Uh, tell me about that experience of you know, kind of picking up that guitar and uh, and starting out and um, and really knowing this is what you wanted to do. Well, you know, you hear. I just I just love the sound of guitar done right. I love the I love the riffs. I love the the, the chords. I love the, the sound of it. Plus, I loved the other instrumentation as well. So maybe that's how I got into producing. But uh, you know, when I heard bands like ZZ Top or Zeppelin or, you know, or even like uh, play uh, Hendrix or all these guys, it, I just, I just, I had to learn it. 
you know, I just and it, it just fuels you, and as you, it it sucks you in. You start playing a little better, and it pulls you in more, and then you're you're your thirst for for knowledge. You know, I, I went to Berkeley. I felt I had the sight read. I studied with Steve Vai. And then even after I got out of Berkeley, I, I took lessons with Mike Stern and Steve Kahn. I've always wanted to grow as a musician, you know, and it, it means more work, too. Yeah. You know, I, I met Johnny as a session guy in the studio. He came in, he heard me play, and the rest was history. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about Steve Vai. Tell me a little bit about working with him and how you got uh, paired up with, with Steve. Oh, well, he was just a monster. I think uh, he charged me a carton of cigarettes for a lesson. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> sure, I'll take two. Thing. I mean, it's not the most healthy thing, but no. uh, I was like, really? He goes, yeah, that seems about fair. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, great. So, you know, we went over scales and ear chaining, read out of saxophone books and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, um, Stern, big jazz fusion guy, you know, we worked on full train stuff and mild stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. Steve Kahn was one of my favorite teachers. He's just a monster. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if I was, uh, you know, very technical, you know, you know how he is. Yeah. Everybody knows. But, of course. Yeah, so it was a lot of ear training, you know. So I got I got a lot out of each each one. But Steve Kahn was, uh, was really one of my favorites. He played with the Brecker Brothers. He did a lot of Saturday Night Live stuff. He actually was on... He was the second guitarist, and I didn't realize this till later, he was the second guitarist uh, when Johnny Winter performed on Letterman on one of the older shows. Oh, and really? Johnny Be Good. And he was filling in for Hiram Bullock. So oh. That was pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. And then later on with Johnny, that was a great thing. We did Letterman like, you know, three years ago, four years ago. How was that? Did you, uh, I mean, obviously you got to meet Dave and I mean, it's every, everybody's honored to get to do one of those things. that's just like a piece of time, right? Like it's, it's, Oh, it's, it's, it's forever. You know, yeah. it was, it was fantastic. It was a great night. Johnny was healthy. The band was right on. I had Paul Schaefer. I knew all those guys. So I had the horn section sit in and Paul Schaefer on keys to, you know, made it a bigger ensemble and we did uh, dust my broom. It's on YouTube, but, uh, yeah, it, it was it was perfect for him because it was a sign that he was healthy again, you know. Because the TV, live TV, it doesn't really lie. There's no editing, so yeah. And it was yeah. And Letterman was a huge fan of Johnny's. He had been a sit-in guest. Uh, I think he held held the record for the longest time between reappearing of guests, like whatever. But uh, yeah, we did that, and then uh, Johnny and I did the Jimmy Kimmel show, just he and I, which was great too. Oh, that's that's really cool. Those are some oh yeah fun experiences yeah. that you'll remember forever, right? Oh yeah, lot of lot of cool stuff, and there's more coming. Yeah, I mean you don't you don't sit down very often, and I mean you're you produced and no. and performed on Joe Lewis Walker's latest album, Everybody Wants a Piece. So like, yeah, I produced that. He got a, he got a BMA, a Blues Music Award. More proud of him. That's great. Yeah. Plus, I have a management company I have, uh, that that handles artists, uh, Wayne Baker Brooks. Uh, Joe Lewis Walker, uh, J.T. Taylor from Cool in the Gang, uh, work with James Montgomery, Lance Lopez. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a new Junior Wells album, producing that. James's album's got uh, Jimmy Vivino on it, and uh, uh, he's doing some Paul Butterfield stuff, so he's got the keyboard player from Butterfield on there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
The phone, the phone's ringing off the hook. It is, it is. Well, well I'm glad you. Uh, I'm thankful you took the time to answer this phone call. So. <laughs> oh no, no, I love this, and I mean, you, you guys, what you do helps us do what we do. You know, it, it keeps us, it, it, it gets the music out. It, it, it's, it's, it's all connected. You can't miss any runs in the ladder. You know, people want to do their own self-promotion and do this. Now, there's the reason why these things are in place and, um, you know, why there's record companies and management and publicists and interviewers and radio. You know, when the machine works correctly, it, it, it gets the word out. And then, then the music speaks for itself, you know? Totally. Well, I mean, uh, I, I'm a big fan of your your guitar work. I mean, I, th I think you're an amazing guitarist, and I, I love the new album. Um, again, uh, thanks, thanks. Um, uh, the direction I went in, I, I think it, it's a good time for that style because the audiences are more into an artist doing more stuff on a record than just pigeonholing themselves to one style. Yeah. So, and uh, there's been a serious lack of frontmen. You know, everybody's hiding behind a guitar and singing, and they just started singing like a year ago, and it's like, really? All these blues guys, it's like, wow. And, you know, who's, not that it's going to be me, but who is the next Aerosmith? Who is the next ACDC? Who's the next Zeppelin? I mean, these front men are becoming extinct. But everybody loves that style of music, but nobody's got the balls to record it. Yeah, yeah, I know. This. You know, Warren Haynes comes out, a buddy of mine, one minute he's doing a tribute to ACDC, two minutes later he's playing Freddie King music, then he's playing Allen Brothers, then Grateful Dead, then his own stuff, and then he's playing Jazz Fusion with uh, Schofield. Yeah. It... And, and it's, the, it's the same audience in the same night, and they're getting a barrage with all these different sounds, and they're digging it. So I'm like, wow, we can do whatever we want, as long as it's good, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. And, and the retro '70s thing is still is still you know people like that. So it, it goes to a wider audience. It's not that I intentionally did. I just did what I wanted to play and what I wanted to do. But I, it, it it hit a nerve, and and you know uh, I'm I'm really happy that, that people are really well. The, the music's really well received. Plus, I have a great band. That helps. Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good perk too. Are are you continually uh, like writing? Also, do you? I mean, obviously this came out pretty recently, a, f a few months ago, and um, so are you are you always thinking a step ahead? You seem like someone who's who's always like a step ahead. Like that. I, I always think three steps ahead. I have to. You ask how I get all this stuff done, and people are like, well, how do you do this? I mean, how do you? Even when I was with Johnny and I was still doing something, like how do you find time to? You just have to pace yourself, write everything down. You know, the phone's ringing, you answer the call, you do it, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's you know, you know, when I'm a producer in the studio for those hours, I'm, I'm the producer. Then I go on to the next, then I'm a player, then I'm a, uh, uh, you know, everything. I, I just like being in the whole music scene, yeah. no matter what the, the capacity. Yeah, and right I, now I'm the executive producer of this uh, musician slash cooking show, which is a, a whole nother thing. We'll get into that one day. <laughs> Sounds like you've got your hands full, and uh, and you're cool being yeah. in any kitchen uh, as long as there's music involved, right? So exactly, yeah, and food and music, you know, the whole thing, like Daryl's house kind of thing, you know. Yeah, for but, sure. But uh, yeah, my next big project is the Junior's project. I got uh, oh, I I just did uh, played on Yanrico Scott's album. That came out great. He's doing like a real fusion thing. So he had me play on a track. He's the drummer for Royal Southern Brotherhood. Oh, okay. Yeah, I played with uh, you know 
pedestrian trucks and, you know, that kind of thing. So I just finished that. And, uh, yeah, and now I'm up, I'm doing the Johnny Winter All-Star Band. We got that together. I've done those with Edgar, uh, Warren, Sonny Landreth. Landreth, uh, buddy guy showed up. Uh, Ronnie Baker Brooks, Joe Lewis Walker. So uh, we're doing a show in Mass right now with the, the guitar player from Boston, uh, John Butcher, uh, Johnny A, James Montgomery, a bunch of people. So that's that's tonight. Wow. So, yeah, it doesn't, it just, you know, when I start mentioning what I'm doing, I'm saying, you know what, they're right. <laughs> there is a lot going on. Is that something you're going to be touring also, or is that just a kind of a one-off thing, celebrating John? No, nope, nope, I got toured for the, for my band uh, mid-August, I mean, uh, August, yeah, beginning of August, uh, Midwest, and then uh, we go over to um, your your. The, the west over yeah, there out here and then, and then japan might kick in so yeah. it just got released there like i said yeah but then again this movie this down and dirty thing that's that's the biggie that's out too yeah so that's been getting a lot of uh, a lot of praise and, and that's awesome and it's great to have something like that that kind of represents uh something that's such a big part for of your yourself as well right so yeah and it, it, it needed to be john johnny was writing himself out of history you know he was in such bad shape while everybody else was doing interviews you know like clapton and Beebe about you know the history of, of them and these muddy documents johnny wasn't in any of them yeah you know people were speaking on his behalf that still happens now. People are running around saying, oh, Johnny was my best friend and this and that. And I'm like, I never even saw you next to him. What are you talking about? There's a, you know, you, the people can change history if you don't speak out for yourself. You know, so he was, he was so in such bad shape. They were saying things for him. And I'm like, Johnny, we got to get you better. If not just to talk about Woodstock and all these things you did, they're, they're rewriting what you by what they say. You know, it's that grapevine kind of thing. Now, it changes as everybody says. You know, one minute, uh, somebody met Johnny for two minutes, and then by the time the story ends up, you know, in, in a magazine, it sounds like the guy known for 10 years. Yeah. So, you know, you, you got to be careful. The artist has to speak for themselves. Yeah, and you had a lot of creative control in that in that project, right, in that movie? What's that? Uh, did you have a lot of creative control, or was your? Do you feel your voice was heard and uh, and the right story was told in uh, in the movie? For the movie, you know what? It was directed by Greg Oliver, the same guy that did the the Lemmy video mm -hmm. um, of all videos. But it had the look and the feel and the style. And once I met Greg, because I I put out feelers saying, look, it's time that something's done with Johnny. He's healthy enough. Uh, let's let's do it. So I said, you, I met Greg and I, I saw his stuff and I said, look, you have to come on the road with us. And he was on the road with us for like two or three years. He followed us to uh, Japan, to China. Uh, like I said, the taping, the Letterman show, Johnny's house, my everywhere. And, uh, you know, it, it's like, what, what's this going to be? How's this going to, you know, you, you see it being filmed and he, he my job as an executive producer is to get him everything he needed so he had the freedom to, to get as much stuff. And then, you know, put in some ideas like, hey, we're going to be down here. I can, I, can, I can get us to his house. We can do footage there. Uh, I know that Johnny's, uh, there's an award coming up. We'll come down to this. So I, I make his job easier. He films it. And then the editing process begins. He edits it, submits it to me, and then I give the overall approval and everything. But the, the footage kind of wrote itself. 
And what happened was you ended up having like three stories. You have like uh, Johnny and myself's relationship, you know, an elderly statesman in the blues. He had the history of the blues and these cameos and there's so much stuff in there. I mean, Billy Gibbons is in it, Warren Haynes, Susan Tedeschi, uh, Tedeschi, Derek Trucks, uh, uh, Joe Perry. It was, it, it really came out great. And, and this, it was his story from Woodstock till the, you know, the day he left us. Yeah. I mean, the, the closing, the, the closing thing of the movie was his 70th birthday at BB King's. That was the last footage. And it's really great that you were able to kind of, uh, you know, pull that together and, uh, and, you know, have the, the story from, you know, the best perspective and people that were closest to him and, um, yeah. And really, kind of have that voice, you know, before. Oh, thanks. thanks. Before, I mean, he was like I said, he was like a father. He was like a, he was a close friend, and that's you know, I I know what we had, and, you know. Yes. Yeah, it's forever. I will always be one of Johnny's guitar players, and that's not a bad thing to be. No, not at all, for sure. It's it's done you well, and it kind of gave you your footing and got, let you kind of get that creativity uh, juices flowing as well for the other projects you've taken on. So. Yeah, exactly. So, well, so there we go. Yeah. Well, well, Paul, thank you for for taking the time today. Definitely uh, appreciate it, and uh, hope to see you out here uh, on the West Coast as well on that on that tour. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely! And thank you for this. I really appreciate it, and push that album. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do. Uh, Paul, would you would you mind uh, doing a, a, a promo for the podcast real quick? Absolutely. Hi, this is Paul Nelson, and you're listening to Concert Pipeline. Perfect. Th great. Yeah, thanks again, Paul. You have a great rest of your day, and and enjoy the show tonight with uh, with everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll see you out soon. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, that was the interview with Paul Nelson. Thank you, Paul, for taking the time. I appreciate it. Uh, we're gonna move forward, Jens, into uh, our last segment of the podcast, and that is the music, music news. news. All right, our first story up is uh, about Ozzy Osbourne. Yes, Ozzy. It's, it's really not a music news story, and I don't usually, I don't like to dip into this stuff. But I guess I, I do like a little bit of it when it. I, I like the gossip when it doesn't involve pop artists. I like it when it. In, involves rock artists. I'll, I'll cave into it a little bit, right? Um, and so this is about the saga of Sharon and Ozzy, and Sharon isn't sure if she can trust Ozzy again. What? After he had an affair? Are you serious? This is what? like drama. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and so they split up, um, and he had an alleged affair uh, with a hairstylist, leading to Sharon's departure from their uh, marital home in May. Uh, I I had heard that the it was an emotional affair that it you know nothing was stuck in places that it, it shouldn't go. And oh yeah, that, that's, so what, that's what they I left. Heard. They left the clothes on. I, I don't know. Who knows? Right? But um, they didn't go to the naked place. They did not go to naked hot springs. Um, by the way, I should have had a, I should have brought a beer because you are enjoying that beer. Yeah. Uh, and I've been enjoying the same like shot it's, of beer. It's uh, yeah, it's been lasting like a while. Hour and a half. What what type of beer is that, Jens? This is, oh my god, it's funny you should say that because we were just talking about heroin. Yeah. <laughs> this beer is called heroin, but not like the drug, like the female hero. 
so like heroine like a female hero nice it is a local um it is a local brew from 101 north here in northern california excellent i have to try it sometime it's excellent yes i would have brought this up had i gotten it together to actually come up but but that didn't happen it's okay we're good um (laughs) And so she remains hopeful that Ozzy can resolve his problems, and they're attending individual and couples therapy to that end. Oh, they got the couples therapy going on even though they're, they split, huh? Um, she told the son, can I ever trust him again? I don't know. Uh, I'm now questioning every statement, every move. The lies and intrigue still hurt. Uh, I don't want to hurt him. I admire and respect him, and that's what I expect back, respect. I didn't get that. It's very hurtful when you don't get uh, that respect and consideration from your partner. So, Yeah. That's so a, she's giving him another chance. Uh, I mean, they're trying to work it out. Apparently, that's the that's the story. But that makes me think of that Beatles song. We can work it out. We, we can, can work it out. out. Yep. Life is very short. It is. Okay. All right. That's your music news. That's that's my story. I got one more to wind it out after yours. Okay. Well, Hit good it. luck, Ozzy. Good luck, Ozzy. Okay. Yes. Stay away from those hair salons. Right. They're, they're, they're all bad, man. They're all bad. Okay, um, so this is a band you kind of introduced me to, Steve. Uh, made me remember that I actually know their stuff. Um, do. But I hadn't heard of their name. So uh, Wycliffe Jean um, is all about the Fugees reunion, if Lauren Hill is. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah, sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Come on, sing it. It's not going to happen. How about a hum? How about a classic Steve Jones hum? There we go. There it is. There it is. Live, live from Concert Pipeline, Steve Jones singing The Fugees. Yep. Weather's words. Okay. So, anyway, awesome song, right? Just about everybody knows that. And I swear I heard that in a movie before. I don't know where. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking about some other song. I don't know. But anyway, um, he is all for a reunion, um, if Lauren Hill is. So, uh, just to recap, um, they broke up in the 90s. Uh, so we haven't really, uh, you know, had much from them since then, but they did get together just briefly in 2004, but it didn't really last that long and the group deteriorated, um, before they could ever get their act together to do a U.S. tour. Uh, so I guess we're, we're, we're waiting, we're waiting to see if, uh, they can get it together, um, for a reunion. We'll be looking forward to that if it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Crazier things have happened, uh, and that's a segue into our next story, which is about Axl Rose. Obviously, crazier things of uh, no one ever said, thought that uh, Axl would get back with Guns N' Roses' original lineup, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like a Pink Floyd reunion. You you know, you would never think that would happen. Yeah, exactly. But it did, and uh, and he's also leading this little band called ACDC. We've talked about this on a number of. Of episodes of concert pipeline luckily not the last one but uh but it just keeps coming up for whatever reason and um so steve i would ask you you know what you, how you personally feel about axel rose um you know uh taking over as lead singer for acdc but uh we have several episodes that cover that we do it might take half an hour to hear your rant <laughs> you can go back to those old episodes and uh, and dig up my opinions on uh on right. on yeah axel rose leading acdc which 
just not necessary. That's all there is to it, right? There you go. Period. <laughs> um, but. Uh, Cliff Williams has praised his ACDC bandmates and says he still enjoys playing with the group he's been a part of since 1977. And the original lineup has been undergone several changes over the last few years. Counting those back a little bit, Malcolm Young was forced to retire as a result of dementia. Uh, drummer Phil Rudd was under house arrest for eight months after being found guilty for drug, drug possession and making death threats. Um, they were replaced by Steve, Stevie Young and uh, Chris Slade, respectively. Um, and then in March of this year, the whole, this is where this whole started unwinding. Uh, Brian Johnson, the lead uh, singer for uh, for ACDC, um, had to step back from touring because he was at big risk for total hearing loss if he continued. And that's when the, uh, the band said, you know, we're going to continue on. We're 148 years young, and we still got some rocking to do in us. And uh, and so that who, who are we going to bring in? Hmm, who are we going to bring in? Choices, choices. Welcome to the jungle! That was brilliant. They're going to bring in Axl Rose, right? I want you to, next time we get together, I want, I want you to... to, to to replicate that into my phone so I can use it as a ringtone every time you call me. Bring me to your knees, knees. Oh, it's Steve Jones calling me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear you scream. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. They brought in that guy uh, yeah. to sit on a, on a throne because he... he that who, gave, who gave him the throne? Dave Grohl. Right. He lent him his throne. Uh, it's cool. I don't know. I think it's cool when Dave does it, but then when he's, we're handing the throne around to classic rock stars, it's a little much. Like it was. Ba- Dave Grohl was badass. It just feels kind of sad for Axel. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of hard to sit with that. Um, but do you, I don't know if you if you I haven't read or looked up um, kind of an update to this. But how is uh, Axel? doing with Guns N' Roses. Well, uh, the ba- the bassist Cliff Williams reports Axel's doing extremely well and God bless him for stepping up to do this. Once we start, it's pretty intense. That's it. Uh, that's what uh, you're there for. Two plus hours on stage, that's what it's all about. It's just what I've always done. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, so they're, they're happy and they... Uh, they're pulling stuff out from the vault that they haven't played in a long time, nice. like years and years. Also, nice, so nice. Um, so there's there's something to that. Fans getting to hear new songs, but I mean, honestly, I'm hearing fans are not that excited about Axel leading uh, ACDC. ACDC, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that so makes sense. From that makes sense. but they've got to be frustrated. I mean, what's the alternative? You know, just not go. I mean, I guess you have tickets. You're not going to get a refund to it because the band is yeah. playing in some yeah. incarnation, and so that's a uh, yeah. That's really too bad. You know, he that ACDC guy has such a fabulous voice. You know, I can't imagine anyone um, living up to that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Depends on who you ask. How Axel's doing? Axel, I'm sure, thinks he's doing great and is enjoying his paycheck, but. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. One other thing I wanted to bring up before we wrap up the podcast, Jens, you mentioned uh, you went to see Brian Adams. How was that show? Uh, it was good. It was really, really good. I didn't know what to expect. The tickets were like $29 or something. So it was kind of a no brainer. Um, it was at uh, Concord Pavilion. So we actually had seats. Uh, we didn't sit on the grass, but wow. I'd never been to that venue before. Yeah. Um, I just sort of assumed it was just like Shoreline, 
but um, it seems that I don't know if I'm right because I haven't been to Shoreline in forever. But it seems like Concord Pavilion has a lot more seating, a lot less grass, um, and the acoustics were fantastic. I mean, he he put on a great show. Uh, the fans were really into it, you know, really into it, despite you know all the photo taking and video yeah. you know, stuff. Right. But they were really into it. Um, a little bit slow at first, I would say, in terms of you know getting up and dancing. But um, Brian Adams did a really good job, kind of getting everybody on their feet and 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 dancing along with them. And one thing that I loved about um, about the show is that it wasn't all about his new album. You know, he, yeah. he played all or almost all of the the great stuff from way back when, and he rocked it out. I and mean, he sounded great. He did. Yeah, he sounded really good. He had a big. Um, he had a couple of big uh, screens behind him, so there was sort of some always some sort of you know video that was associated uh, with whatever song he was playing in the back. Uh, very artistically done. Um, yeah, you rocked it out. You rocked it. You enjoyed the set. It was great. Yeah, yeah it was good. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Excellent. Yeah, Con- uh, Concord Pavilion is. Uh... It's a pretty fun venue. The last concert I saw there, I think it was last year, uh, saw Smashing Pumpkins with Marilyn Manson there. Ah, yeah. Smashing uh, Pumpkins is awesome. I'd yeah. love to see them live, yeah. I was uh, I was hesitant because uh, I saw Smashing Pumpkins, I don't know, eight years ago and at the Fillmore, which, mm-hmm. you know, my feelings on the Fillmore. Yep. Uh, and it's a place to go to see a concert. And they, I mean, honestly, I didn't even stay for the whole set because it was like three and a half hours long and they played most of their hits within the first hour and a half, two hours. So I think it stayed for about two of the three and a half hours of their set. And, uh, and it was good. And that was a lot more intimate um, as opposed to an amphitheater where you're with 9,000 right. of your closest friends. So, right. uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I did enjoy it, uh, but that, that Fillmore, I think, was... Was better. Was better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would mind going back to Concord Pavilion. Um, uh, you just remember, I mean, there were a lot of people that just weren't dressed very well. I mean, there were a lot of women that were dressed fashionably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fucking cold, dude. It was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the sun was setting. It was windy, you know, and maybe that's why people started dancing halfway through because, you know, just to stay warm, it was so cold out. Um, anyway you had a good time had a good time yeah it was worth it yeah we had a good time Um, on this yeah it's one of those it's one of those venues where you know you're always kind of afraid that you're gonna get stuck in traffic Mm -hmm. um and you kind of park in this parking lot slash field thing yeah so we uh we left halfway through the encore because he was just playing all his new stuff um during the encore and uh, we just wanted to get kind of a, a yeah, get a jump a, before know, get, get that, a jump yeah out the door. That can be a stuck pain of a parking lot totally, to get it. Yeah, yep. a nightmare. And you yeah, it's kind of like what it was like when you came to my place. Um, and oh. the, the traffic was so crazy getting out of the Marin Fairgrounds. Oh, right? it was ridiculous. You took the back roads. Yeah, I'm like you know what, just go around trying to camp, take the back roads, so you're not stuck in, in this traffic for two hours. So we wanted to avoid that, um, but we we couldn't find our fucking car so oh. we were out there in the parking lot with a, probably about a dozen other people that were all you know pressing the yeah. buttons on their keys trying to get their cars to honk and we would hear you know cars honking and a lot of people have toyotas so i'm like oh there it is oh there it is but 
No, it was but, never our car honking, so I, we probably wasted about 20 minutes trying to find the damn thing. How many people yeah. have toy Yodas, though? Toy Yodas. A lot of people have, man. A lot of people yeah. have toy Yodas. Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of people have toy Yodas. <laughs> toy Yodas. Uh-huh. So, uh, right, so we found, the th- we found the car, and we got out of there before it got to be nuts. Good job. Let's get out of here before things get nuts. How about that? Before things get nuts. All right. Steve, another awesome podcast? 111 in the books. 111 in the books? Yeah. Any spoilers for what's coming up next? We're going to leave you on the edge of your seat because uh, we don't have anything official. We have a couple things in the works uh, like we always do, but nothing official right now. But uh, the next band to be on the podcast will be a great band, I'm sure. And, And we'll... Have to wait till next time to find out who that is. Sounds good. Unless I, unless I do something crazy in the next couple of days, I probably won't have any naked stories. Oh, well, that's the segment yeah. on the program now, apparently. So yeah. that in bathrooms. Yeah. yeah. Episode one twelve might be kind of a downer. <laughs> you better better get. <laughs> we got to come up with yeah. some good, something good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, for concert pipeline, uh, that is Jan Schiphol. And that is Mr. Steve Jones. We'll check you out next time. Later.